Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick. Now, my final guest this morning is Peter Cosgrove from FutureWise, who will be looking at the challenges and opportunities created by the hybrid model of working and how managers need to develop their leadership styles to reflect this monumental shift in working practices. Peter, we'll be discussing your business FutureWise, but your career before becoming an entrepreneur saw you experience the banking, consulting and recruitment worlds. Morning, Carl. Yeah, I suppose it's very interesting to people who are a lot younger these days because actually I've moved around to a number of different uh, uh, careers and actually this is probably going to be the norm for anyone who's kind of getting into the workplace now. So I suppose every time I was in a career and I realised I didn't enjoy it as much or I didn't feel I was learning, I just moved on to something else. So I realised I didn't want to be a banker, I didn't want to be a partner in a uh, kind of a consultancy accountancy firm. And then when I was in staffing, I got amazing skills in recruitment on sales and how to close. And then I moved from that to the digital side. So essentially, every move was to build on my skill sets and learning, which kind of got me to where I am today. So back in 2018, you decided to establish FutureWise. Was it always an ambition of yours to become self-employed someday? I'd love to say it was, but everything I've done has been a little bit about how I've thought about the last couple of years. I I had set up uh, within CPL the Future Work Institute, and it was all about the future of work. But I realised, why am I doing this for somebody else? Because I'm talking to talk about the gig economy, gig workers, so I need to start doing this myself. So that actually became the thing that made me decide I should set this up on my own. So what was your vision for FutureWise? Firstly, I think the way work is working is pretty broken. <laughs> a lot of people are disengaged in the workforce. Uh, a lot of employers are doing things by meetings, by you know processes that aren't working very well, but they don't change. Everything takes a long time. And what people spend very little time is looking up and looking at the future and seeing what's going on. The second thing I realized is however great our technology is, we seem to use it so terribly. You know, things like email we use to make it more productive and we end up being anything but productive when we're on things like email. So it was actually to hopefully design and help companies see a better and simpler way to be more productive in the workplace. So how has the business evolved over the past five years? I suppose, interestingly, everybody who works for me doesn't work for the company. So the goal was always I would only hire people around the world on gig contracts because part of what I do is explain to people the value of the gig economy and there's no way I can do this if I don't actually start hiring these people. So essentially everybody who works for me is a researcher. So my job is constantly to stay ahead of the workforce and find out what the trends are in the future and then actually present and advise organisations here and sometimes abroad in that regard. So my goal has never just been about growth for growth's sake. It's just about actually uh, working with companies that I want to work with that I enjoy working with. So what services do you provide to your clients? Well, I suppose the the idea for me is I go into organizations and I find out how they're doing things at the moment. And to be honest, right now, Carl, the most important thing is to find out what their biases and assumptions are about, A, working from home, flexible work. Would they ever hire a gig worker? Why wouldn't they? And these are the challenges they have. So at the moment, most organizations are struggling with the fact that this is still really new to them. And what we realized is when COVID happened, we moved really, really quickly. You know, so we all started moving from home. But actually, bizarrely, what happens is then is we haven't moved on much more. You'll still chat to people three years later on a Zoom call and they won't, you know, you can hardly see them or you're talking to their ear or they don't have any lighting in the room. So the point is we got to the stage of being able to do this but we haven't moved to the next stage. So it's actually showing people that, yes, you can do this now, that you can work with people all around the world, but you need to be able to do this a lot better than you're doing it currently. 
So for those businesses that threw all of their staff into the deep end when COVID arrived, they sent them all home to work. What systems and structures are you now putting in place with them? The first thing I say is the biggest challenge we have from working from home is we don't have a, a simple start and end to our day. Uh, and we're not very good. We like to think that we're very, very good at doing what we want. But actually, when we used to go into work at nine and leave at half five or whatever time those were, that actually happened. And we often left generally when we left. And here was the other thing. We got this decompression time, this time between work and home. Now people are literally leaving their desk, walking downstairs. Somebody's asking them what's for dinner. And they're not getting that kind of time to themselves. And then what's also happening is because the office or desk is just five seconds away, they pop up later just to look at a couple more emails and suddenly they can be there for an hour, another hour or two. So the first thing is simple things. Like if you think about it, when most people worked in an office and they were, let's say, in a suit, even your children knew when you were working and when you were not working. Now, because we're simply wearing the same clothes all day, your children can't even differentiate when you're at work and when you're not at work. And this is becoming a real challenge for us. So even simple routines like, you know, doing, and they seem really basic, like getting up in the morning, showering, going for a walk, and actually having a structure to when you start your day. Some people even do simple things that they'll only use the same cup for work, but they won't use it uh, when they're not working. And then other people would light a candle in the morning. That kind of almost signifies the start of their day, and they blow it out at the end of the day. These might all seem simple things, but it's amazing how many people out there listening will be honest and say, I actually think I'm going to finish at six, and then I end up going till seven, but I don't even know what where the extra hour went. And Peter, are these challenges across all sectors and sizes of businesses? Yeah, they're probably more, for me, my point of view, they're probably more so in kind of like the tech businesses because they actually think this is the norm that everybody should almost be working every hour and there is that kind of culture. And the challenge is if lots of people in organizations start working longer hours than everybody else does. So if somebody's emailing you at one in the morning, essentially what they're saying is look how hard I'm working, how busy I am, and then that kind of creates stress for other people. So that's the first thing. The second thing is on the flip side, you've got lots of people on in kind of the public sector who have kind of much stronger contracts and rules about what they can do. And I think public sector are struggling with how they actually manage this remote work stuff with kind of union involvement and so forth. So it very much depends on the type of organisation and sector they're in. And from a unionised perspective then, what are the challenges and how open are unions to this change? The bizarre thing is they're, they're really pushing remote working and uh, Leah Bradford is currently coming out with remote work policies, which I have to say I'm not a huge fan of because what he's trying to do is mandate that people should be allowed to work from home. Now, I really believe people should be able to work wherever they want. But I also believe that some companies, if they want their employees to have to come in five days a week, should also be allowed to do that. An employee, by the way, is very able to just say, I don't want to work for this organization. The moment you start putting in rules around this and laws, you're actually making it more, uh, less competitive when it comes to people coming into our, our, our country. And nobody actually can tell us guaranteed yet whether it's better completely working from home or working in the office because it's too early into our, our journey. So I think the challenge with unions is if you want everybody to work from home, I always say, look, you've got to be careful what you wish for. Because I tell anyone, if you could work from home five days a week looking at a screen and never have to come into work, there's also a very good chance that job may not have to be done in Dublin in five or ten years' time. And an employer said to me recently, which I thought was very interesting, he said that the workplace, the physical workplace, was always a community of learning, but they've lost that in a lot of respects now with the move to remote. Yeah, I, I'm really, really keen that people who are maybe in their 20s, they are the ones who really have to be in the workplace. Because most of the work I learned in my first five years was not actually the work, it was actually people sitting over my shoulder saying, you might want to try this. Have you done this? Have you done that? 
Secondly, me asking lots of questions, which guess what? If I'm in an office, I can ask somebody 20 questions a day. There is no way I'm ringing my boss 20 times a day. And then thirdly, if you're in the office, you can hear somebody on a sales call or doing a negotiation or just dealing with somebody, giving them a compliment or maybe kind of pulling them up on something. And you learn how management works and how leadership works. All of that things cannot happen if you're sitting at home. So we have to remember how much work we learned just by being there and seeing how things work that we're never going to learn if we're sitting on our own. It is so true. Now, what about the skills that a manager needs to manage a remote workforce vis-a-vis those that would have worked in a physical environment with them in the past? Well, I think probably the one that is key is communication. And there's an amazing book written by Erica Dewan called uh, Digital Body Language, where she says that now that everything is online, so we're doing Slack, we're doing email, we're doing instant messaging, we're doing WhatsApp. So the biggest challenge we have is we have to improve our um, communication. Because her example is if you have a boss who responds in one word, you're fine. You know, if you know your boss for years, you'll know that fine just means fine. If this is a new boss to you, fine might seem like fine or something really, they're annoyed with you. Now, the difference is in the past, you'd meet this boss within the next week walking down the corridor, so it wouldn't be a problem. But if you never meet this person, you actually start to go, oh, my God, my boss doesn't like me, and it become a real issue. And if you think about how we, how we respond to email and everything, we're doing it in the lift, we're doing it in the playground, we're doing it you know, when we're walking at night, but we're not spending any time thinking about it. And managers need to spend more time on the small things, you know, even on that kind of initial Zoom call with a one-on-one person. The first five minutes where you're chatting to someone and asking them how they are is much more important nearly than the meeting itself. But even the language you use. So if I ask you, Carl, generally, how are you? Nearly everyone's going to say the same two words, fine or grand. But if I say things like, where are you on a scale of one to 10 today? You're much more likely to say, well, I'm only a four or I'm a seven. And then we can have a conversation about that. So understanding how your communication really matters when we're not all sitting together all day, every day is critical. Talk to us about the concept of distance bias. Yeah, well, I mean, this has been around for a long time. And it's the idea that the further you are from an office, uh, the more you're forgotten about. The more you're forgotten about, the less chance you have of being promoted. Now, this doesn't make, this doesn't make people bad people. It's just a reality. If you know, you're sitting beside somebody every day, they're going to remember who you are, they're more likely to pick you for the next project that's coming up because they see you, rather than having to ring someone or think about where they are. Now, why this becomes more important is, now that we're working remotely, you could argue that the person who decides to come in every day will be more favoured than the person who's a, who, who doesn't. And you have to think about this in the world of, you know, the tech companies where a lot of layoffs are made. There's no doubt if you're choosing between two people, Peter and Carl, and Peter never comes into the office, and Carl's there every day, and he happens to be a Manchester United fan, and I'm the boss, and I'm also a Manchester United fan, all those little kind of likes and kind of relationships will make a difference between who you choose. I know they shouldn't. But we're not robots and we do make decisions based on likability and knowability as opposed to people we don't. Peter, you're a member of the 30% Club Steering Committee, which aims to increase female representation on boards and executive management positions. What progress has been made in this regard? Uh, it's actually over the last seven years, we've gone from 11% of uh, women on boards uh, to over 30%. So that's not the end goal. 30% was always the floor, not the ceiling. But it's kind of known that once you get to 30%, you end up having, it's not like any sort of tokenism on board. So I think that's great. The the second goal is once you get people at the board position, then you want the CEO position and push it down the chain. The challenge still is we probably need more females in finance positions because the reality is the person who gets the CEO job in large organizations very regularly is the person from the finance position. So I think one of the key drivers has to be getting more females in CFO positions so they become the future CEOs.
But is there an element of window dressing amongst corporate Ireland when appointments are made, but the culture or gender bias may still permeate throughout that organisation? Yeah, I mean, there can be. Uh, and a lot of people struggle with this and they say, oh, this is just tokenism or oh, we're just hiring women because of it. And I always say, you know what? We've had quotas for 500 years. It's just called white men in their 40s and 50s. So if you think about it, every <laughs> single every single senior job 100 years ago was a man. So we're essentially saying we picked from half of the entire workforce. That just does not seem right. It's crazy. And much more importantly, 85% of all buying decisions are made by females. Why would you not have women in the purchasing side to help you. And, and finally, you know, the reality is we now have a global marketplace. You know, we're not all white, Catholic, coming from a certain school. You are dealing with uh, kind of people who want to buy from you who are different religions, different ethnicities, different everything. So we have to actually represent those people by having those sorts of people in our own organization. So this whole idea of diversity and inclusion is only for profitability, not just window dressing. It's really, really important. Well, if you've just tuned in, that was Peter Cosgrove from Future Wise. And I'd like to thank Peter for sharing his views about the rapidly evolving world of work with us this morning. Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick.